You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Good morning. At St. Andrew's Park Circle, we we begin our services with a a little bit of uh, liturgy, a little bit of kind of call and response. And so I was hoping maybe as a way to make me feel a little bit at home this morning, if we might do that this morning. Uh, The way that we begin is I would say, Alleluia, the Lord is risen. And then the response back, your part, is the Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Maybe this morning, yes? Alleluia, the Lord is risen. Yes, he is. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I have two beautiful daughters, uh, Abby, who is now 14, and Natalie, who is now 11. And I can remember, I can think back to the times when they were just infants, the day where they were just newborns. And I can remember with fond memories those early morning hours that were holy, those quiet mornings of rocking in rocking chairs, warming up bottles, even changing diapers. And while some of those moments were very precious and very special and moments that my wife Lisa and I will always cherish, there were some of those early morning hours where the only thing we could do was warm up a bottle and rock in a rocking chair. And so I can also remember times of plopping down in the rocking chair and just turning on the TV. And regardless of what hour was on, I could always find an episode of the TV show Law and Order. If you're not familiar with that show, it's a crime drama. There is the bad guys, there are the good guys, there's the police, and then there's the attorneys, and there's the judge, and there's the courtroom drama. And it provided incredible fodder for me to sit back and rock a nursing baby and then to watch something while she drifted off to sleep. I hope that wasn't some kind of prophetic for my daughters that we were getting engaged in the law at an early age, but I remember those moments well, and when I think back on my time of those early days with my daughters, each of them, this TV show is kind of ingrained in my memory. The text that I was given this morning to preach out of is from the book of Acts. And it's not the beginning of the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit is given to the apostles and to the disciples, and God's kingdom advances mightily. It's not from the middle of the book of Acts, where Paul is set out across the known world to proclaim the gospel that the good news is for the Gentiles as well as for the Jews. The text I've been given this morning is from the end of the book of Acts, the part where Paul has been arrested. Paul is on trial. There is a courtroom scene that is played out before the believers. And there are all of the usual characters. There's the prosecuting attorney who is doing his job to bring charges against the defendant. There's Paul, the defendant, who is defending himself against overwhelming odds. There's the judge, Felix, presiding over the entire situation. And then there's the jury offering a verdict of truth and justice. And so we're going to look at these together in turn. 
I'm going to take some time and read through this passage from the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 24 this morning. If you have one of the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 878. If you would like to follow along, I'd love to have you follow along. It's a longer passage. We're going to take it in three kind of distinct sections. And so here's the first section from Acts 24. Let me read it for us. It says this. It says, and after five days the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullius. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, since through you we enjoyed much peace, and since your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms have been made throughout the entire nation in every way and everywhere, and we accept this with all gratitude, But to detain you no further, I beg in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader, a sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him, and by examining him yourself, you will find out from him about everything which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming these things were so. The late biblical commentator John Stott, he said this about the situation played out before us. He said, quote, Jerusalem's strength lay in its history and its tradition. Roman strength laid in its conquest and organization. The combined might of Jerusalem and Rome would be overwhelming. If a solitary dissident like Paul were to set himself up against such odds, the outcome would be inevitable. The chance of survival, I love this, the chance of survival would resemble those of a butterfly before a steamroller. He would be crushed, utterly obliterated from the face of the earth. These are the odds that Paul stands before this morning. The courtroom drama opens. The prosecuting attorney, Tertullius, has his opening statements, and he begins by addressing the governor, Felix. And he does so with the sweetness of honey. My grandmother was famous for saying, you'll get more bees with honey than you will with vinegar. For the life of me, I don't know why you would want to get bees, but it was a saying that rang through our family. Tertullius is using his words like honey. Proverbs 17.8 says a bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. Tertullius's bribe is with his tongue. He's buttering up the judge. He's starting with how great Felix is. I'm sure you've never done this. I've tried it a few times. Honey, is that a new dress? Is that a new perfume you might be wearing? By the way, the weather's going to be really nice. Do you think I can go to go fishing all day tomorrow? Maybe I'm the only one who's done that. But listen, it very rarely works. Tertullius does this. He says this. He says, since you, in verse 2, since through you... We enjoy much peace in the empire. A Roman governor had a one-sentence job description. It was simple. Pax Romana. Pax meaning peace. 
Romana is the Roman Empire. The job of the governor was to keep the peace in the Roman Empire at all costs. And if there was no peace, the governor soon found himself in hot water. And so Tertullius, this prosecuting attorney, stands before the judge and says, you are doing a great job at keeping the peace here in the empire. But now we have this man, this defendant, who is a plague and has stirred up riots. He's a ringleader of a splinter group. He's tried to even profane the temple. As Luke records these things, do those things sound familiar? Do they sound like maybe you have heard similar charges in some other part of Scripture before? Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus was charged with stirring up the people. Jesus was charged with leading some splinter group. Jesus was charged with tearing down the temple and claiming to be able to build it three days later. Paul is in good company. And when Jesus had these charges placed before him, he kept silent as a sheep is before its shear. Because Jesus knew that through his trial and his death and his glorious resurrection, he would win our peace. But Paul is not silent. Because Paul had a very different mission. We've looked at the prosecutor. Let's look at the defendant. Acts 24, verses 10 through 21. Here's our second part. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, knowing that for many years you have been judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it's not more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anybody or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple, or the synagogue, or the city. Neither can they prove what, now, what they now bring against me. But, I, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, which is they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down. By the law and written in the prophets, verse 15, having hope in God, which these men themselves accept, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now, after several years, I came bringing alms to my nation and to, be, to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or turmoil, but some Jews from Asia... So uh, they ought to be here before you, make an accusation that they have against anything against me, or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they have found when I stood before their counsel. Other than this one thing, that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you. It's pretty hard to stir up a riot in 12 days. It's pretty hard to be a splinter group leader when you believe everything that was laid down in the law and the prophets. Paul says, this is not me. This is not the charges that they brought against me. Here's why I'm here today, O oh great judge. I'm here today because of the resurrection of the dead. 
I'm here today because of the resurrection of the dead. Paul makes his defense cheerfully that he is in their presence, not because of their accusations, but because there was a man who died and rose again and is the first fruits of those who will rise. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen. Hallelujah. Felix is the judge, the governor. He is the one to whom Paul is making his appeal. One Roman historian, when writing about Felix the governor, wrote this. Felix had all the power of a king and all the mind of a puppet. Not exactly what you want your biographer to say about you. All the power of a king, all the mind of a puppet. Felix's strings were being pulled because he knew if he let Paul go, there would not be peace in Rome. So what is the puppet's course of action? What's the puppet to do in this case? What does the unjust judge do? Verse 22, but Felix having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off. Saying, when the Lycera tribunal comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he, should be, he, Paul, should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his knees. It then goes on, verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and sent for Paul, and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away from the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, so that he sent often for him and had converse and conversed with him. And when two years had, el had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Pontius, Pontius Festus, and desiring to go to the Jews, a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. The trial ends. And the puppet judge does what he seems best, which is he leaves Paul in prison for two years. Two Easter's, two Christmases, two years of life Paul spends in prison. But we do get this. We get the account that Felix summons Paul on a fairly regular basis that him and his wife Drusilla hear from Paul about Paul's faith in Jesus Christ. While Paul is in prison with decent liberties, but still in prison nonetheless, Felix is listening to him. Now you might not be familiar with the name Dr Drusilla. I would encourage you to know that every word of Holy Scripture is inspired by God. And so when you come across words in Scripture, names in Scripture, places in Scripture that you're not familiar with, I would encourage you to start digging. We have more resources at our disposal in this modern era than they would have had in all of history combined. And so fire up the computer, Google the name Drusilla, and here's what you'll find. This is not some random person. Drusilla is the daughter of Herod, 
Herod, who had John the Baptist beheaded. Drusilla is the granddaughter of Herod the Great, who massacred, massacred the innocents in Luke, who summoned the Magi to manipulate them, who lived in fear of the coming king. Drusilla's family for generations would have known about this Jesus that Paul proclaimed. And here she is, listening with her husband, Felix, knowing full well her history. Felix, knowing full well his history. And here's Paul, proclaiming faith and grace in Jesus Christ, that there is no other name under heaven by which you could be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on, and he proclaims to them about righteousness, about self-control, about the coming judgment. These are three tenses that we find salvation in. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The gospel which you have received in the past, in which you stand in the present, by which you are being saved in the future. We're a people that live in three dimensions at once. And so Paul proclaims to Felix and Drusilla about righteousness, that we are saved by grace through faith out of Ephesians. It is a one-time holy act of justification. But we're not perfect. And so we live in the present. We live in a moment of sanctification. Thank God he is working on me every moment of every day. Growing my self-control. Growing my holiness growing to be more like his son Jesus, and thank God that in the future we have a hope that the coming judgment is actually a good thing because we will see our Savior face to face, knowing that our sins have been atoned for as we are growing in righteousness in the future. One day, all things will be made new. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of what Paul is proclaiming to this corrupt judge and his wife. That faith is only salvation in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this, this morning, here. Where is your hope? What are the things that you are tempted to place your hope in? I, I sincerely hope that you haven't found yourself on any kind of trial for what you believe. Maybe the court of public opinion, but probably not a judicious court. Where's your hope? Retirement funds, job titles, bigger house, bigger car, more friends. We put our hope in all kinds of things, right? Political aisles. We put our hope all over the place. And Paul in prison for two years is proclaiming to the power 
that faith in Jesus Christ is what saves. Faith in Jesus Christ is what saves. We've looked through our law and order. We've looked at the prosecuting attorney, Tertullius, and his accusations against Paul. We've looked at Paul, the defendant, who stands trial in Acts 24. We've looked at the judge this morning, Felix, and what he has to say about Paul. But there's one more group. There's one more group that we haven't noticed. One more group that is not explicitly explained in the text. One more group that is implicitly there over all of these proceedings. There's a jury. There's a jury. One more Latin phrase I'd like to teach you this morning, and it's this, quorum deo. It's two words, quorum deo. It means basically in the sight of God. It is something that our, as us as Christians have been believing for, for thousands and thousands of years, that all of life, from the moment I get up in the morning to the moment I wake up the next morning, all of my life, every day, is lived in the sight of God. He sees us. Where can I go from your presence, O Lord? David would proclaim in the Psalms. If I go down to the depths of the ocean, you are there. If I go to the heights of the mountains, you are there too. All of our lives are lived in the sight of God. And so is this trial in Acts chapter 24. There is a jury that is presiding powerfully over these court proceedings. And it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the verdict that the jury comes back with over Paul's life is well done, good, and faithful servant. It's because of that trial that the gospel would make its way through the ancient world to Rome. The center of the known world at that point. And it would make its way from Rome, spreading farther and farther up, up through Europe, up across the English Channel to the country of England, across an ocean to a new world and a port city named Charlestown. And it would make itself way up the peninsula to a church on the corner of Holmes and Durant. Do you realize you are sitting here this morning in worship of a holy, righteous, and sovereign God and the faith in his son because Paul was on trial in Acts 24. This is our heritage. Now, every sermon, every good sermon, needs an application. And this text is a difficult one because there's no imperative. There's no, therefore, go and do this. It would be great if at the end of every chapter in Scripture we would get a therefore, right? Paul's on trial, therefore, you should go and do this. But there's not. There's not in this text. And so what are we to do? What are we left to believe in this text? Here's the first thing I believe this text moves us to do. And that is if you are not a believer this morning, if you are not a Christian this morning, I'm so glad that you are here. 
Maybe you're joining online. I know you guys live stream. If you're joining us online, I'm glad that you are here. Let me ask you the question, where's your hope? Where does your hope lie? Because the things that we put our hope in, they do eventually let us down. Where is your hope? I would encourage you to consider the one who uses even the darkest trials of our lives for his glory and our good. And if you are a believer today, if you are a believer today, let me remind you of something I am sure that you already know. There are no wasted moments in the kingdom of God. There are no wasted trials. There are no wasted suffering. There's not one wasted tear. There's not one wasted laughter or joy. Even the most mundane trip to the hardware store can be used in a mighty way in the kingdom of God. I know you know that. And I get the honor and privilege this morning to remind you of that. That while Paul is on trial, God is at work. The jury has returned. Well done, good and faithful servant. Alleluia. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, your word says, I was with you in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. And so, Father, this morning we ask humbly that you would show your power in our midst in such a way that hearts might be changed, that lives might find joy and hope, and that even our trials would be seen as worship before you. Lord, give us that perspective this morning. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.